0: Hey guys, I'm Lead Pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 930 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Hey, why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them what's your deepest, darkest fear? What's your deepest, darkest fear? Turn to the person next to you and tell them your deepest, darkest fear. There's some surprise I see. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I gotta admit, you know, for me, I know, I know a lot of people are scared of the dark, or a lot of people are afraid of losing a loved one. Some people are afraid of public speaking. Uh, I have a, I have a admission. Uh, one of my deep uh, irrational fears is birds. I. I I, like, had dreams as a kid of, like, being trapped in a room with birds and getting pecked and pecked and pecked. Anyway, deepest, darkest fear. This passage today deals a little bit with fear. As we see Peter walking on the water but being afraid of the storm, the disciples in the boat in this story are afraid of the storm, and, uh, you know, in this Matthew chapter uh, 14 where we've been, we've seen... Uh, We've seen the rejection of Jesus come. We've seen Jesus rejected by his hometown in Nazareth. We've seen uh, Jesus teaching about the law, rejected by Herod, uh, which is why John the Baptist, Jesus' preacher, his pastor, his cousin, good friend, his life was taken because he stood up for uh, Jesus' view of the law. And uh, in, in this last, uh, last story, last week, the Feeding of the 5,000, we, saw, uh, we actually saw a mixed reception towards Jesus. And uh, today, again, we're going to see a, uh, another uh, example of a mixed response, how faith <clears throat> can be interrupted by our fears, uh, but it doesn't have to be the end of the story so again, today we're going to see the imperfect faith of a disciple, and I believe that there should be encouragement for us in, that, in the imperfect faith of Peter here today. Sometimes we travel as disciples from belief to unbelief, oftentimes as a result of our fears, but we can come back to belief just like Peter did in this story by getting our eyes on Jesus. And, and if we're honest, I think this is our story of faith oftentimes bouncing back between faith and unfaith, faith and fear. This story uh, that we're looking at today, this this miracle of Jesus walking on the water, it's, um, it's a story about God's power for sure. Um, I mean, God does amazing things. Uh, we saw in Matthew chapter 8, there's a story about him calming a storm. We see here he's walking on water. We've just read the story about him feeding 5,000 men not to mention women and children. This is definitely a story of God's power, but it's not just about God's power. I believe there's more to the story than this. I believe that uh, if we look closely, we'll see that mostly this is a story of how God shows up even when our faith is imperfect. And in fact, he gives us faith in the face of our fears. So like I said, this passage uh, that we come to today, Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000, which, which we learned was actually quite more than just 5,000, just 5,000 men. And it, it's hard to say, but if you counted the women and children along with the men, you probably would have counted somewhere to 10 or 15,000 people. I actually did some more reading this week, and, and someone I read actually said maybe even 20 or 25,000 people were present. Can you imagine the size of that miracle? Wow, that's a lot of people. And uh, I mean, it seems like an important event, right? If that many people were present. And like I said, it's the, it's the only miracle story included in each of the gospel accounts we see in scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all those writers included this miracle story. It's the only miracle story included all four gospel accounts. And so after some, doing something so amazing, you might expect that Jesus and his disciples would stick around a bit and, and revel in the moment. But that's not what Jesus does. In fact, he starts our story by doing something somewhat strange. Let's read about it. Verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. So here's Jesus, perhaps fleeing persecution from Herod, who has gotta think now wants his head, right? After he's taken John the Baptist's head and he's just found out about this. He was on a mountain trying to get some time away when these people came to him and, and so he ministered to the people, he healed all the sick and then they got hungry and so he, he fed them, right? The five loaves, the two fish, he made into this meal for all, there were leftovers, and these disciples, it seems like they want to stay with their master, right? He's, uh, but he tells them, no, you, you've got to go on ahead without me. It says that he stays behind, actually. He stays behind. What does he do? Well, he wants to dismiss the people. And some commentators actually suggest it's actually a literally, more literally saying goodbye that Jesus wants to do. He's not just dismissing them. He's saying goodbye. But in, in any event, he seems to have time for these people from start to finish. Even in his grieving, even in his fleeing persecution, he seems to have time for them from start to finish. But what do we see Jesus doing here at the beginning of this story? We see Jesus seeking solitude. Even as Jesus made time for ministry, he makes time to be alone and to be with his father. This is, this is a great reminder for us that you do what you believe to be important. We all do. We do the things that we believe to be important. And Jesus knew that being with his father was important. It's what he wanted to do. And so even after he's ministered, he goes back to solitude and being with his father. See, your actions, they're a reflection of your priorities. Like, you can tell me what you value, right? Fine, tell me what you value, but but I... I'll really know what you value by watching your life. I can watch your life and figure out for myself what you value, right? Jesus valued time with the father. So now the problem is that his disciples have been sent on and they're actually quite a ways from him. We're going to find out in verse 24. It says "And the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, it says, verse 25, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, this is interesting. I, I remember one time I, uh, I ran a marathon with Megan. I know, this is uh, a dumb thing to do, but it was before we were married. And, you know, I've not run one with her since. But anyways, one time I ran a marathon with Megan. And at one point during the race, she's like, I got to go to the bathroom. And they had porta potties set up all along the race course. I'm like, oh, I'll wait for you. And Megan was like, no, 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 you just go on ahead. See, she knew that she could catch up to me quickly. And so that's exactly what she did. And this is kind of like what's happening here. I mean, Jesus has is, is let his disciples go. He said, ah, I'm going to dismiss these people. You go on ahead. I wonder if they thought to themselves, well, how do you think you're going to catch back up with us? But Jesus had a plan. He was going to walk on the water out to them. Even though they were a considerable distance from land, this is what he's doing. And when they see him in fear, they're terrified. They think to themselves or they say out loud, it's a ghost. Who can blame them, really, right? I mean, out there on the sea, Afraid of the dark, perhaps, certainly afraid of the storm. Their, their boat is being tossed back and forth. Man, I mean, the, the ocean, the sea, is, it scares a lot of us. I was just watching a video this week on Instagram of somebody kayaking out in the open water. And in the video, you see this great white shark come right up underneath their kayak. This is why I'm not into kayaking or stand up paddling out in the open sea. This is, this is what lies beneath the, the ocean is, is fearful. Anyways, this is where the disciples are, and they're experiencing a storm. They're not with Jesus, and they, they see him walking out towards them, and they fear a ghost, and man, who can blame them? You know, if we're honest, I think oftentimes, or even right now, maybe many of us find us living in a storm. Our culture is in a storm. There's politics raging around us. The economy's taken a dump. There's war in the Ukraine with Russia. Perhaps maybe you've got a storm in your family. Maybe there's a storm related to your work. Perhaps it's relational strife that's causing this storm. Money. I don't know what the storm that you're living through is caused by, but Storms often cause fear, and that's what was happening. These disciples, they were afraid. and they saw Jesus and they thought, "This must be a ghost." <clears throat> but it wasn't a ghost, was it? In verse 27, we read about the encounter. It says that Jesus immediately said to them, "Take courage. it is I. Don't be afraid." Now, listen to the language here that he uses. In the Greek, this phrase, it is I, it, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the two words, ego am I. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I read up, and that's what the Greek means, ego am I. What it, what it literally means is take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Have you ever heard God use the phrase I am? Does that make you think back to Exodus 3? The story of Moses and the burning bush, and Moses, Moses uh, has been called by God through that burning bush to go back and free his people from their slavery, their bondage to Pharaoh, and he asks the Lord there through that burning bush, "Who should I say sent me?" And God says through the bush, "Tell them that I am has sent you. I am." If you look at this uh, story I'm told that in the Greek and you count if you if you count all the Greek words that make up this story this ego am I is directly in the middle it's like it's the apex of the story take courage I am don't be afraid is it a ghost no it's the great I am walking out on the water take courage Jesus says, hey, did you know the most repeated command in scripture? It's not, do not kill. It's not, do not have any other gods before me. It's not, do not commit adultery. It's do not be afraid. That's the most repeated command in scripture. Do not be afraid. See, fear leads to unbelief, leads to un." Faith, fear is our greatest enemy in many ways. Who said that you have, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, right? A great American president, that was Roosevelt, right? Do not be afraid. The most repeated command in scripture. Peter's catching on. He's like, he's recognizing Jesus is, is making a bit of a claim to uh, <clears throat> his divinity here by calling himself I am. And so Peter responds in faith, Lord. If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus says in verse 29. Listen, you guys, more than a call to be this or to do this, the call of God is a call to himself. And I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what the storm around you looks like, but I know what you need. You need an encounter with Jesus. You need to be in the presence of Jesus. You need in your storm to get to Jesus, to see him face to face. Like Peter, what you need is to ask him to call you to himself. I I love the way that Peter says this. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. See, Peter knew the source of power. He knew that it wasn't intrinsic. It wasn't within himself to walk on the water. The power to do this miraculous feat, Peter knew and acknowledged, rested in the divinity of Jesus. He says, tell me to come to you on the water. Some of us today, I believe we need to ask Jesus to invite us to himself. And I believe that when we give that request, Jesus Call would be simply as it was to Peter here. Come. What does that remind you of? It reminds me back to chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, Come to me. More than a call to be this or to do that, the call of God is a call to himself. And Peter says, Come. And what is and Jesus says, come, and, and what does Peter do in response? It says that Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. So far, so good. A lot of faith here from Peter. But in verse 30, it says that the next thing that happened was he saw the wind, and he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And as I said before, I think this story illustrates perfectly the frailty of our discipleship. Mostly afraid, gripped by the storm, mustering up the faith to call out to Jesus and ask for an invitation. Will you ask me to come to you, Lord? It's as if if you don't ask, Lord, I'm not sure I have the faith to actually do it. See here, Peter, he has the faith to get out of the boat. I mean, you gotta love that about Peter part ambition, part faith to follow. Peter is a follower of Jesus. He wants to be where Jesus is. You got to love that Peter has the faith to get out of the boat, but, but pay attention to his fear. It's not gone when he steps out onto the water. Notice how his attention gets distracted from Jesus and onto the storm. It says in verse 30 that when he saw the wind, he became afraid. See, Like Peter, when our eyes get focused on the storm around us, it can be hard to keep faith. We got to keep our eyes on Jesus, even in the storm. But the saving grace for Peter is that in his peril, he knows his savior. Even when things look really bleak, we see a renaissance of faith come alive in Peter. What does he say? He says, Lord, save me. This is one of the great Prayers in scripture. Look, if you've ever thought that you didn't know how to pray, I'm here to tell you that all you need to say are these three words, Lord, save me. See, there's faith in this prayer, isn't it? Lord, Peter acknowledges Jesus as Lord. He knows who he's talking to. But there's also desperation in this prayer. Save me is what Peter says. See, Peter needs saving, And I'm here to tell you today that if you need a savior, you can have a savior, just like Peter has in this story. And what does Jesus do? Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? It says Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. The good news of this story is that when Peter needed a savior, he got a savior. And you too can have a savior, but you have to need a savior in order to get a savior. Look, are you you sinking? Are you to that point of desperation? Or are you still like thrashing about in the sea trying to save yourself? Be honest with yourself. Which are you? Are you doggy paddling with your head just above water saying, I've got this? Are you to that point of desperation where you can scream out, Lord, save me. And then what happens, Peter gets a, a rebuke, doesn't he? Jesus says, you of little faith. And actually, we know, we've learned Matthew chapter 8, Use that same phrase when the disciples were in the, bo- the boat and they had the storm and Jesus was sleeping. He says, oh, you of little faith, little faiths. He calls them little faiths. But notice this about the rebuke. Yes, Jesus does rebuke Peter for his little faith, but the rebuke comes only after the salvation. See, God rebukes those whom he has already saved. His salvation is more immediate than his rebuke. Peter's little faith uh, allowed his circumstances to distract his faith. He saw the wind. But thankfully, at the end of the day, it's not about the size of your faith. It wasn't about the size of Peter's faith. It was about the object of his faith. And it's about the object of our faith. Our faith is only as strong as what we place it in. When his eyes were on Jesus, he was walking on the water. But when he saw the wind, he began to sink. And oftentimes, just as in this story, it's not no faith, it's little faith. And thankfully, more so than our faith, it's Jesus' grace that meets us in our moment of need. And then what happens in verse 32 it says that when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. See, this is the Lord of the wind and the sea, the Lord of the storm. Of course, we should already know that, but so too should the disciples. Remember, Matthew 8, Jesus had just calmed the storm. And it says in that chapter, the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Well, he's, he's done it again, right? And, and now provoked even further by the salvation he's brought, they respond with more than just amazement they respond with worship. Look at verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Look, you guys, I believe that this is where we see the main point of the story. After it was all over, they worshiped him. Listen, I'm here to tell you, maybe the storms have come so that you would worship him. Maybe this is the reason he's allowed the storms to come. Maybe this is the reason he sent his disciples out into the sea on their own so that they would come to a place of worship. The Greek word used here for worshiped him, it literally means to prostrate oneself, to lie oneself down on the ground in reverence and worship. See, upon seeing him walk on water, seeing him rescue Peter and calm the storm, the disciples were provoked to worship face down on the floor of the boat. It's actually kind of messy when you think about it. These seasick sailors laying face down on the floor of the boat, worshiping the Lord. And I just want to say that, you know, your story, like Peter's, your story matters, but The point of the story is about who gets the glory. Let me say it again. The point of the story is who gets the glory. The point of the story is not the story. The point of the story is not your circumstances. You see, our hearts were made to worship. And when you see the salvation of the Lord in the middle of the storm, that's what your heart is going to do. The point of the story is who gets the glory? Maybe the storms in your life have come so that you would worship him. Notice what, what do they say in response? Do they ask a question? What kind of man is this? Do they ask the question in amazement that the winds and the waves obey him? No, they make a declaration. They say, truly, this is the son of God. Now, we've seen God the Father declare the divinity of Jesus. We saw that in Matthew 2 when he said at Jesus' baptism, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we've seen the demonic make this declaration in Matthew 8 when Jesus meets the possessed men of the Gadarenes. But this is the first such declaration by a disciple. truly. This is the son of God, they said. You see, the storm brought them to the end of their faith. Full of fear, Peter cries out to Jesus, call me to yourself and I'll come. And when he loses faith again and begins to sink, he says, Lord, save me. You see, I think the story of Peter and the storm is so indicative of life as a believer. Full of faith and also prone to fear. Empowered by God to perform great feats like walking on the water, but also in his humanity capable of great failure. Look, I know you've got circumstances in your life. Your marriage is hard, parenting is hard, maybe your job just fell apart. I know you've got circumstances. I know you're living in storms. Here's a question I have for you today Are you focused on your circumstances? or are you focused on Jesus? I believe that sometimes God calls us to things that are hard, things that might lead us into a spot where failure is a possibility. Perhaps he's calling us, you guys, not into success or glory, but into failure so that we might find him to be I am. Remember, his call is come to me. It's not walk on water. It's not do something amazing. His call in the middle of the storm has come to me. This passage is about our worship. Look, he will use his glory and your circumstances to bring you to a point of worship. I remember, man, I lived, uh, my childhood was, was uh, not full of adversity. It wasn't really hard. I had a, a good life. But um, shortly after Megan and I got married, life got hard. We, we moved to Boston We were getting our car towed regularly. We were trudging through the snow. We had to meet new people in a big city that felt very unfriendly. And Megan got pregnant early on. We weren't expecting to be pregnant. There were complications with our pregnancy. And I'm telling you what, my faith got really unsteady. It was like, God, you've gotta take care of these things. You've gotta make things better. And one day in prayer, I felt like Jesus said, Noel, I don't care about your circumstances. In fact, I'll do whatever I have to do to get you to come to me. I'll use your circumstances, but the whole point is getting you to come to me. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. See, some of you, some of us, we're, we're sitting in the middle of a storm. Perhaps you see Jesus off in the distance and you're not sure if it's him or if it's some sort of ghost. It's dark, it's cold, the waves are tossing your ship to and fro. You've no idea what lies beneath the surface of the water, and you're scared to death. Into your storm comes the voice of the Savior, the Son of God, the one you know has power over the storm, the Ego Am I, the great I Am. In the midst of this storm, maybe you're still in the boat, scared to step out in faith, or maybe like Peter, you've had enough faith or ambition to step out onto the water. But what if the point isn't whether you walk on water or sink? What if the whole point is that you hear him say, come to me, and that you respond in faith by hook or by crook, like Peter, Lord, save me. If you're here this morning and you would say, Noel, I'm in a storm, I would wanna present you with this hope. God uses storms. God allows storms. God's purposes are often and perhaps even mostly accomplished in the middle of the storm. You may not want to hear this and I'd be right there with you because smooth sailing is the route I'm looking for, but God allows the storm. He shows up in the storm and he'll use it to show you himself, to give you more of himself, more maybe than you could have ever imagined. And here's the little phrase you need to learn if you want to have him. Three simple words, Lord, save me. Let's pray.